We do have a special speaker with us. Uh, Mike Roebuck has, Mike, I guess you've been in church like 30, 35 years. And this coming Mother's Day will be 38 years that we founded the church. So Mike's been coming 35 years. So he's kind of just like a piece of wallpaper. We just sealed him in there. And, uh, but... Mike is going to be continuing his message on how to study the Bible. And if any of you have been impacted by anything that's been going on, you have understood that we need to get our foundations ready. We need to stabilize them. We need to know what we believe and what we have faith in. So I want you to get ready and receive Mike Roebuck, my friend and a friend of our church, and we receive what God got for us tonight. God bless you, Michael. Thanks, Pat. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All righty. Well, hello, saints. I hope you uh, are ready here because we're going to cover a lot of ground. And uh, thank God for technology. You can go back and, and rewatch this if you need to. And probably be a good idea to. And be a good idea to take notes tonight. So last week we talked about the importance of studying the Bible urgent. It's, it's imperative. It's as important as your food that you eat every day and the water that you drink and the whatever. It's that important to your spirit. And we found out last week the most important thing to study in the Bible is just do it. Like Nike said, just do it. And somebody says, well, how do I do it? Where do I start? And you know what? That's going to kick me off here tonight. I'm going to try to cover just 10 quick points as far as different types and, and, and one or two of them may not, you may not think is a type, but it really is. But the first one I want to talk about is a systematic study. And I got a little pamphlet here that gives you through the Bible in a year's time. And this year, I actually began doing this for the third time in my life. I've been saved for 41 years, and I've only done it three times. Now, I've read the Bible a lot, but as far as systematically from beginning to end, this is my third time, and you can find these pamphlets, you can find stuff online to just give you a certain amount each day, and you don't have to stop there. I wouldn't just stop there, but that gives you a place to start, and that gives you, here's something I want to say too. When you start off, I know the one I'm doing took me back in the Old Testament. I haven't even read any of the New Testament with the plan yet, but you know what I per personally do is when I hit books like Leviticus and some others, I'll go to the Living Bible translation. And you know what? It just simplifies and helps me keep my train of thought and follow what's the content. Even Psalms. I'm in Psalms now, and I'll even pull out the Living Bible for some of the Psalms that I'm reading. And it helps to get a picture of what David's really praying or saying. And so I would encourage that because... You know, there's many translations and there's different thoughts and opinions on all about that. But you know what? I personally believe I, I read King James, but I'm not limited to King James. OK, I'll, I'll read any modern translation and look at it and see and compare it to this to, to just see. the theme of the Bible. I tell people is the, the same. And you know what? I'm just going to leave it at that for time's sake. But systematically, one important thing about that is it keeps you balanced, okay? You don't get way over to one side or another, one topic or another. It just keeps you balanced. 
And how many of you know that's what the Bible says? That we're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. And last week I made a statement that the more you understand the Bible, the more you're going to understand God. And I also said that I believe a key to interpreting any scripture is in, it should be interpreted in the light of God's nature and his character. That'll help you immensely. When you're reading the Bible and you come across a verse that just seems really hard to wrap your head around or it seems to conflict other verses, do so, look at that in, in regards to the nature of God and it'll help you tremendously. And what do I mean by that? There's, there's some different instances I said last week. There's, there, I'll agree there's places where the Bible seems to contradict itself, but I'm of the strong, strong opinion it does not contradict itself. It's the infallible Word of God, inspired by the Spirit of God. Now let me just say some, some instances. Let's just say Pharaoh, for instance. If you just read the book of Romans and you find out about, I'm sorry, the book of Genesis, Exodus really, and you find out where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It says that. And, and it just doesn't mean that Pharaoh didn't have a choice in life. He wasn't doomed to death and to hell from birth because God just said, I don't like you or I'm going to choose that you're going to be the Pharaoh. I'm going to harden your heart and that's it. Can I tell you something? God would never do that to anybody because he would be a respective person. So see, that's an important element of God you got to understand he would never do for one what he doesn't do for another. And so the, the key answer is Pharaoh hardened his own heart before God ever hardened it. Okay? He, he done it himself. And once he got so far along, the Bible says a reprobate mind, once concrete gets hard, you aren't going to soften it ever again. And, and that's, I believe, without a question, that's what happened. You, you take, for instance, the children of Israel. God chose Abraham and he chose the nation of Israel to reveal himself through. They were his people. Did that mean that God was being a respect of persons? Absolutely not. The idea of God choosing Israel as a nation is to use them as an example to show the rest of the nations of the world, this is who I want to be to you also. If you'll follow my guidelines and my laws and my ways, this is who I want to be to you too. But he had to have somebody to be used as an example. Amen? Do you see that? Uh, predestination. If you look in there, there's some verses in the New Testament that appear to show that God predestinates certain people to heaven and certain people to hell. Can I tell you something? That's as erroneous as you can get. Because again, he would be a respect to persons if he did that. God doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wills all men to be saved. So how could he predestinate certain people to hell? He'd be going against his own will and wishes, right? So if you see and know that that's the nature of God, it's he predestines people who choose him, who repent, who yield to him. He predestinates what they're going to walk in and what they're going to have and the inheritance that they're going to enjoy, okay? So that's, that's one. How about the angrier of God? You know, I just talked to a gentleman that I used to work with for years and years and years in construction, and he moved out of state a little, about a year and a half ago, and he called me last week, and we had a conversation, and he's really being drawn to, to God, to the things of God. He's probably 40, 
eight years old, 47 years old. And he's really finding now that it's time to just abandon everything else and just seek God. And he was talking about like the books of the, in the Old Testament where it really appears that God is, is an angry God. He's a mean God. He's, he's just looking to take out his frustration on people and nations and that. And you know what? I told him, I said, you got to understand something. God can get angry. Okay, it's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. God has anger. He's got the emotion of anger. But can I tell you what the Bible says in Psalms? It says the anger of the Lord endures for a moment, but his mercy endures forever. So if you're going to compare his anger to his mercy, there's no comparison. He's a merciful God, and he's a forgiving God. And if you read in the account in the Old Testament and Psalms about the nation of Israel... How many times did they intentionally, willfully mess up and rebel and be stiff-necked? And time and time and time again, he gave them space to repent, to forgive them, to let them start from scratch and forget it all in the past. That's the God of this Bible. Amen. He's a merciful God. He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. But he is also a just God. Okay. So he has to deal with justice. He can't just sweep things under the rug or he would, not, he would be unjust. So you see, when you understand those attributes of God, it'll help you interpret Scripture. Amen? I don't know if there was any others I had here. That, that's mainly, I think you get the point. So, systematic. That's reading through the Bible from beginning to end. And you get a good, good balance. And again, I would encourage you, incorporate some other translations okay it don't feel condemned and don't think that you know there's danger in that because again the theme of the whole bible is pretty self-explanatory you know god's a righteous god he wants us to be righteous people he wants us to be faith-filled people he he wants us to be loving people and, and on and on okay next one a book study did you know that you can take any one of the books of the bible and you can devote a study to that book. Or you could even do a chapter study if you wanted to condense it down smaller. And I'm going to say this, that even though the scriptures inspired by the Spirit of God, the punctuations, the chapters was added for reference. Okay, And that will give you a benefit when you start studying some verses. Because there's verses in the Bible that... I believe the comma was put in the wrong place or the period. Because if you continue to read on, it takes on a whole new meaning. And every chapter, it might be beneficial for you to not necessarily just end your train of thought at the end of chapter 7, because chapter 7 rolls right into chapter 8 as a continuation. So I think that's important to note and for you to be aware of. So a book study, um, here's something that I think especially in the Old Testament, probably more so, but even in the New Testament, is if you find out the, the setting, the back setting of when did it happen. I, I tell you what, I got listed down here. I, I read this years and years ago. There's five W's and one H to ask yourself if you're doing a chapter or a, a book, rather, study of the Bible, say in the Old Testament in particular. Who wrote the book and to whom was it written? Okay, now here's an important note. Did you know that this is the word of God, the infallible word of God, 
But did you know that every single statement recorded in here is not true? Pastor knows that. And you know what? A lot of Christians don't know that. And, and the majority of it is. But when Job says vanity of vanity, I'm sorry, when Solomon said vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Is that true? No. The same individual that called me last week that was questioning about, you know, the Old Testament and God's anger and, and on and on. He said, man, he said, I read the book of Ecclesiastes. I heard somebody on a podcast mention it. He said, so I thought I'm going to go read that. He said, you talk about something depressing and negative and like, why in the world did God put that in there? I said, guess what? I know why he put it in there. And it would help him to know who wrote it, in what condition was that person when he wrote it. And do you know what it was? Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes when he was in a backslidden state. And so you know what? If you read that, you'll get a perfect picture of a man separated from God. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All is empty. All is hopeless. If you've alienated yourself from God, then you, you'll be able to relate to the book, to that book. Okay? Now, um, so who wrote the book? Who was it written to? What is the general idea portrayed in the book? And you know what? Again, you can, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, you know, you, you can do a study on kings, good kings, bad kings. Now, we'll get to that in just a, a few minutes on narrowing it down. But who wrote the book? Who was it written to? What is the general idea portrayed? When was it written? Again, mostly Old Testament, but New Testament sometimes can be important to know that too. But what did it precede? Did it precede before Israel became two nations, you know, or, or, or whatever. So when was it written? What was going on at that point in time? Where was it done or said in, in, in the Old Testament again or New Testament? It, I've never been one to look at maps a whole lot, but if you get a map and you find out where one city is versus the other, or I just heard, I think the, the Dead Sea, it was like three and a half miles across and seven and a half miles long or something like that. And it gives you a picture of when Jesus' disciples started to go across it that it wasn't that far across, but the time when they ran into the storm, it took them hours and hours and hours and they weren't making no headway. So little things like that can give you some insight to, to what some hidden treasures in the Word. Now, here's an important one. Why did God have it recorded? Can I tell everybody? You know, somebody would say, well, why in the world did the Bible list the genealogies? I just skip over that. And I like to, too, you know, but I'll read it just for the sake that I'm staying on my commitment reading through the Bible in a year. But can I tell everybody, I guarantee you they're written for a purpose and for a reason. And if you ever need to or would want to track the genealogy, I'll guarantee you there's all kinds of significance to it. The meaning of the names of the people who begot who and and how many different lineages there was between, you know, Abraham and David, David and Jesus there's, there's a purpose, okay? Everything in here has a purpose and a reason why God had it recorded. He didn't waste no pages, okay? Now, here's, here's really what I want to hammer home. How does this apply to me today? How, how does the book, you know, Leviticus, how, how does that apply to me today? Well, it was types and shadows of Jesus. So it applies a lot if you really want to get technical, okay? 
And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, now all these things were written for our admonition so that we can learn from them. We can learn from their successes. We can learn from their failures. Amen? So whatever it is you're reading in the Bible, how does it apply to, to the modern day church today and even more so to you as an individual believer? Next, topical study. Okay? This is one of my favorite, personally. It's where you take one particular subject and you dissect that subject from every conceivable angle. You, you, you could take healing, for instance, miracles. You could take a number of things, and that's where a concordance would come in handy. And I know we have new believers that probably have just recently been saved that may not even know what a concordance is. Well, it used to be this real big fat book that took some muscle to carry around, but now that we got computer age, you can go online. And a concordance simply lists every place in the Bible where a particular word is used. Okay? Healing, healed, heals. You can look up every verse in the Bible from the Genesis to Revelation where that word was used, and guess what that'll do? That'll allow you to begin to systematically look at each one of those references and put them all together. And it'll give you a tremendous understanding. Now, this can be powerful. If you need healing, it can be a super powerful way to study the Bible. And that's what I'd recommend is hone in on it, okay? Find out anything and everything the Bible says about healing. And here's the thing you got to understand, though. Some people, let's just say eschatology, some people might be so intrigued with studying the book of Revelation and the end of the age that they just discard everything else and they just focus all on that. It's not good, okay? It's not good to just um, study on faith and never ever study on love because faith works by love. Amen? It's not good to ever just study on heaven and concentrate on heaven only and never mention hell or study hell because they go hand in hand. So like cults, I know I've heard pastors say this in years past, cults can have unity and love down real pat, but they miss the whole plan of salvation <laughs> or they miss all the other that goes with it. So you see, you got to keep balance. You don't want to just get on one side of the road, because if you do, you're going to eventually fall in the ditch, I can probably predict. So that's, that's something that we need to, to be aware of. Prosperity. What if you just studied the good side of prosperity and all that you can get and accumulate, but yet you don't consider, Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. And there's all kinds of verses. The prosperity of fools shall destroy them, it says in Proverbs. So you see, again, now that's a balanced study of prosperity. As you look at every conceivable angle from every view, you don't just look at the good. You don't just eat the candy. You got to mix in some vegetables. Amen? Okay. So um, some other topics of, of, that we're talking about that you could do. And, and you can just purpose. And here's what I'm telling you guys. Let God, let the Spirit of God lead you in what direction He wants you to go. Whether it's studying a chapter, studying a book of the Bible, studying a particular subject. The fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, love, miracles, prayer. You know, there's books I, I, I bought years and years ago. All the prayers in the Bible. All the miracles in the Bible. Now, this gentleman wasn't a spirit-filled believer, 
But still, you know what? I can use that to go to all the women of the Bible, all the everything of the Bible, all the promises of the Bible. And you know what? You can just go down through and accumulate and get, that'll get you a real safely balanced view on whatever it is that you're studying. There used to be, and I'm sure there still is, online, Nave's Topical Bible. And I tell you what that does. That'll, you look up a topic, prayer, and it's going to give you dozens and dozens and dozens of verses in the Bible on prayer or on healing or on the devil or whatever, okay? So, Nave's Topical Bible. Most of your Bibles in the middle center column, you're going to have cross-reference verses. And if you look, you got a number that's beside a verse that you're reading. If it's got a number by it, look at the center column and it'll give you some cross-reference verses that you can also go look up that's going to be talking about the same thing of the verse you just read. And again, that'll give you a bigger picture, a wider view to understand what's being said. Okay? Um, okay. Other topics. Authority of the believer. Inheritance of the believer. You know, faith, marriage. It, it goes on and on. Okay? Now, here's something that I personally, since the day I got saved... I've always been a pretty big advocate of Christian, good Christian authored books or tapes, teaching tapes, whatever. And I know I've heard some people say that, well, I'm just going to read the Bible and nothing but the Bible. I'm not going to read no other book. I'm not going to listen to no other tape or sermon. And I'm thinking, well, you may as well never come to church because all that a good Christian book is, is a sermon on paper. That's the way I looked at it. And I mean, I'd be selective of who the authors are that you're buying their books and, and studying their material. But my view is, you know what? I'm looking at a book the same way I look when I come to church to listen to pastor teach a message is I want to hear what he, he may have heard or seen something that I haven't heard or seen yet. And that I want to take advantage of that and benefit of that. Okay? So, and then if, if you find somebody that you don't 100% see eye to eye with, whether it's a book, whether it's a teaching tape, or whatever, I'm a big advocate. I don't ever throw the baby out with the bathwater, personally. If there's one little thing that I think should be taught different or handled different, but I, I get blessed from everything else, guess what? I'm going to take the blessings. I'm going to throw out the bathwater. Amen? Okay, let's move on here. Next, this is one of my favorite. Word study is you take a single word that's in the Bible. Whatever it is, it, it could be faith, it could be anything, okay? And we'll get into some here. But when you take a word, and again, let the Spirit of God impress upon you if you're reading and there's a word that just stands out and sticks out to you and you felt drawn to, then guess what? Maybe you ought to start dissecting that word <clears throat> and finding out what it really means. Now, with this, I'm going to tell you what I would highly recommend. I would highly recommend going online and finding out in the Old Testament what was the original Hebrew word that that translation word was derived from, okay? You want to find out because some of the words that you read, I, I've got down here that there's some words in the English translation of our Bibles that means something different than what you may think on face value. And it can tremendously help you if you go back and in the New Testament, Greek. And you don't have to go study to be able to speak Greek to, to benefit from this, okay? I would recommend you not, because I heard it's a nightmare. 
and takes forever. You don't have to do that. All you got to do is find that word, go to the Greek or the Hebrew concordance. You can also get a New Englishman's uh, concordance for the New Testament words. And it'll tell you from the Greek word every other place that that Greek word was used in the Bible. Just like in the English, you can look up any word. Guess what? When you find out what the Greek word, whether you may not be able to pronounce it, you can track it down and find out every place in the New Testament where that Greek word was used to translate from. And boy, that can open up some things to you. Okay? Now, some of the... Let me just say this. Um, You need to find out well, I don't want to say that. You need to find out if they have more than one meaning, okay? And I use this analogy. In our English language, we can have words like plain, P-L-A-N-E. Now, what do I mean when I say plain? Well, you got to figure out what I mean because I could mean different things. I could mean a plane that you fly in. I could mean a plane that a carpenter planes wood with. I could mean a plane that talks about a certain height, Okay, that could be a plane. How about um, trunk? If I mention the word trunk, am I talking about a trunk of a car, a trunk of an elephant, swimming trunks, a trunk that you're putting stuff in? What, what trunk am I talking about? You got to find out to be able to properly understand what I'm saying, right? Same way with the Word of God. You need to find out what the word you're looking at really means. Does it mean what you think it means face value? Because if you're having trouble understanding it and seeming that that's contradictory to other scriptures and you're really confused by it, it might help you to to dig a little deeper. And it does take some time and effort to do what we're talking about here tonight. Okay. And that's where that's who's going to find the hidden treasures of this right here is those who's going to dig and those are going to who are going to sweat and those are going to who spend some time at it. And, and just make it a priority, okay? Now, um, I mentioned many times the Bible words mean something other than what we think. Let's use this first. Jesus said, whoever comes to me and hates not his father, his mother, his child is not worthy of me. Well, does that really mean what that sounds at face value? Of course not. Because Jesus would never tell us to hate anyone. He says, love your enemies. How are you going to hate your family when you're supposed to love your enemies? Hate, in the Bible, in the Greek, the meaning of hate means a lesser preference for. So if you hate your family, your mother, your father, your children, compared to God, that's a good thing. You know what? When I got saved, I loved God first and foremost above anybody. But I didn't love my family any less. If anything, I loved them more, right? Um, Careful. You know, you read the word, be careful for nothing, okay? Well, you're thinking, well, be careful that you don't trip or be careful that you don't get hurt. That's not even what the word careful means there, okay? Be careful for nothing means be anxious for nothing. And a lot of Christians know that, but there's some that don't know that. You think that'll make a difference in the way you interpret that verse? All the difference in the world. And if you can look up the Greek word of careful, you'll find out that it does mean anxious or worried or troubled or anything along those lines. Um, patience. How about we think of patience of just patiently waiting, just sitting here waiting and just, you know, for something to change. Did you know that's not the patience the Bible's talking about? The Bible, when it talks about patience, it's talking about endurance. It's talking about perseverance. 
It's talking about remaining the same regardless of circumstances. It's talking about having a right attitude while you wait. You know, there's a scripture verse that says, wait patiently. Well, if patience was just waiting, that's double mumble, you know? Patiently waiting means you're waiting with the right attitude. And you're going to persevere it through until, until you see what come to pass what you're waiting for. Another thing, you need to discover the tense of the word, okay? Is it past tense, present tense, or future tense? That can make a difference. Um, or what about singular or plural? If I say deer, how many deer am I talking about? Could be one, it could be 50. I saw 50 deer in the field on my way home tonight. Okay, it can, can be one or the other. Um, God, sheep, and sheep is another one. You know, I saw sheep. Well, how many did you see? One or a dozen? It could be either or. Now here's why that can help you out. Because when you see, read the word God in the Bible, did you know that there's places where it's translated from the Hebrew word Elohim? E-L-O-H-I-M. Elohim is a plural sense. It means more than one. It's talking about when it says God, it can be God the Trinity or God the Godhead comprised of God the Father, Jesus, or the Holy Ghost. Or it can be talking about God the Father singularly. So you see again how that can really, really help. Um, okay, so a concordance is obviously extremely important to do a word study. And, and a Greek aid or a Hebrew aid is a very, very good idea too. Now, here's another one that somebody may not think is a Bible study. Memorization. Did you know when my dad got saved a year and a half after I did, I encouraged him because I had begun to, to memorize scriptures. I would take certain scriptures and I would commit them to memory. I would have, look at them, have them written down. And my dad, when he got saved, he said, I can't do that. I don't have no memory. I said, Dad, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I said, just, just do it. Well, he began to get index cards, and he was a Pepsi route salesman driver, and he drove all over. He would take these index cards with him, and he'd pull it out all times through the day. And he would just look at it, look at it, and commit it to memory. And guess what? In time, he had more memorized verses than I did. Okay? But he couldn't memorize, he said. So, I think it's extremely important to memorize certain verses, memorize the order of the books of the Bible. That'd be a good place to start. I mean, my daughter did that in second or third grade. She could rattle off all 66 books of the Bible. Now, I couldn't do that today, to be honest with you, because I haven't brushed up on it. But I got a pretty good idea where any book that I need to turn to where it's at. And that's a good thing to do. So here's one of the reasons it's important to memorize. Because if you memorize, you can meditate. Okay? And this is a form of Bible study that most people don't have a clue it's a form of Bible study. When you meditate, that means you roll over and over. I've heard it said like a cow chewing its could. You just chew it over and over and think about it, think about it, talk about it, mutter it. And, and you know what? That, my friend, is one of the most powerful, effective means of Bible study. Because when you get it from here down to here, you got something. That's when it's going to really stick with you. That's when it's going to really benefit you in life, Okay. So, meditation. The, the Bible talks a lot about it. And I'm just going to sit here. I'll give you some verses you can look up. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. The Bible says there, In his law shall he meditate therein day and night. For then he shall be as a tree planted by the rivers of living water. Deep root system. Okay? 
That's what happens when you meditate the Word of God. You're going to get it rooted and deep ground deep down in your heart, and it's going to have a deep root system that isn't going to be plucked up by the circumstances of life anytime too soon. Um, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth. So in other words, confess the Word constantly. Make a habit of confessing the Word, but it also says in his law doth he meditate day and night. And it's, it's a process that powerful. You can do it anywhere and everywhere you're at. It don't matter. If you've got certain verses memorized or you've got certain verses written down on a card to refer back to, I'm telling you, it's powerful. 1 Timothy 4.15 talks about it. Psalm 119.99. It says, I have more understanding than all my teachers for thy testimonies are my meditation. Meditation allowed the psalmist to surpass the knowledge of his teachers because he had made a habit of meditating. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Not a bad meditation, not Eastern meditation. The Bible talks about meditation upon the Word of God, okay? Verse study. Here's another real, one of my favorites, okay? A verse study is when you break down a particular verse or verses and dissect it for all it's worth. Now, because of time's sake, I'm, I'm going to skip over one, but I'm going to give you a reference to it and you can look this up on your own. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. It talks about a soldier, endure hardness as a good soldier. It talks about an athlete is temperate in all things. And then it talks about a farmer. And, and it likens in them three verses, those three occupations, if you will. And you can learn from a soldier. A soldier is submissive. A soldier is well-trained, tough. A soldier is committed to a cause. He's going to stick with it to the end. If it comes death, he's committed to it. If he willingly enlists, he knows he's going into it and he's sacrificing it all if it costs him his own. An athlete is disciplined and temperate. He has control over their body. Olympians, can you imagine? They're, they're disciplined. They work out every day of the year practically for hours to prepare for the Olympics. Okay? They harden their body. To the, Paul says, he, he hardened his body. He beat his body, brought it into subjection. You know what will keep you committed and disciplined and, and uh, have control, self-control? Is prayer, the word, and fasting. That's the life of an athlete, okay? And then a farmer, a farmer is wise, diligent, sows good seed, and he's patient. And we can learn from a farmer. A Christian can't. So see, in those three verses, there's a comparison made to us as Christians and those three people and the characteristics those people have to make them successful and succeed at what they're doing. Uh, a couple other verses you could admit that I'll just show you the power of studying out certain verses. In 1 John 5, 7, and 8, I believe it is, yeah, it talks about there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the, the Spirit, and there are three that bear record on the earth, the water, the blood, and the spirit. And years and years ago when I was teaching Bible college, that verse God used to help clear up for me the Trinity. And basically what it is, is for man to exist and continue to go on, you're going to have to maintain three things. Your spirit, water, and blood. Because if you lose all your blood, you're dead. If you take all the water out of you, you're dehydrated, you're dead. If you take the spirit out of you, you're dead. And guess what? If you take God the Father, Jesus the Son, or the Holy Spirit out of the Trinity, out of the Godhead, the Godhead will no longer be. You'll still have them individually, but you see, 
just like those three components are essential to a human life to con- ongoing, the Trinity. It's not Jesus isn't the same as God the Father. So um, I'm going to give you one more and then we're going to wrap up here. I'm, I'm actually just touch base on one more verse study. How about um, Romans 12.2? It talks about don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of minds that you may know what is that perfect, acceptable, and good will of God. Now, I know different people have different opinions on that verse. Some think that that's talking about all the same in the one. Personally, I think it's talking about three different categories of God's will. I believe there's a permissive will. I believe there's a good will. And I believe there's a perfect will. And you know why I believe that? Because if, you, if your mother was a school teacher and you came home to her and you tried to convince her that a C was the same as an A, you're in, you ain't going to win that argument. You know what I'm saying? An A's perfect, a B's good, and a C's acceptable. If you go back to the athlete working in the, in the Olympics, try to tell that guy that got a bronze that that bronze is as good as the gold. Same thing. I don't think so. I'll take gold any day over bronze. And I'll take the perfect will of God any day over the permissive will of God, over the acceptable will of God. Okay? So, another thing. Life lesson studies. Here's another study. When you take the life of a person in the Bible, it could be Jesus. Study the life of Jesus. How did Jesus react? What was his mannerism? What was, what, how did he react to any given situation? The Apostle Paul, David, Moses, Abraham, Peter. It could go on and on and on. Parables. You can take parables. You can take stories from the Bible. How about the story where Jesus called Peter out to walk on the water? You can learn a whole life lesson by that. If you just take that one story, that's not a parable, that's a story. If you can look at that, and Jesus was going to pass them by. But Peter, they cried out to Jesus, and Jesus stopped. You know what? Lord, do not pass me by. He, he might pass you by if you don't call out to him. Okay? Based on that story. He, he, he responds to those who call upon him. Okay? Peter had to know it was from the Lord. He said, Lord, is that you? And he said, it's me, Peter. He had to make sure that it was who he thought it was. And that's what we got to do everything in life. Is it, the, is it the word of God? Does it line up with the word of God? What I'm believing for? What I'm living? So you got to find that out. you got to get out of the boat. Jesus didn't drag him out of the boat. He told him to come, but Peter had to come. Peter had to make the step. And then God took over. So God's usually waiting for us to make a move before he moves. Like checkers or chess. You can't move out of turn. God don't move out of turn. Okay? If you're going to step out in faith... Can I tell you, God's next to move, and his move is always good. And his move's always got you. Peter began to look at the waves and the water and the wind after he was almost to Jesus. What did any of that have to do with the fact he was walking on water? Is it any easier to walk on calm water than five-foot waves? No. So what does our circumstances have to do with believing God for a miracle? If it's, if it's in the characteristics or in the circumference of God's word and we're believing for it and we have scriptural reason to, go for it. Don't be looking at circumstances. Be looking to the word. Be looking at the promise like Abraham did. Okay? So you can learn from character studies, studying the life and characters of people. What made people succeed? What made that king a bad king? What made that king have a bad report go down? What made that king be a good king and succeed? What was the difference? Well, their mannerisms. You can study out their name. What did their name mean? Names have significance, okay? Um, Parables, stories of the Bible. Now, here's here's one. 
numbers, colors, and materials, and symbols. Did you know that the Bible is filled with types and shadows of which reveals valuable spiritual insight and lessons? There's a book by Kevin Connor that I, I bought many, many years ago, Interpreting the Symbols and Types of Scripture. Did you know, like in the Old Testament, when you read about all the ites, the, Levi, the, the Canaanites, the Philistine, or the, the Hizzites, all them ites, guess what? We're not fighting them today, but you know what we're fighting as believers in Jesus? Demons. We don't fight flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. All those ites that you read, Goliath, you may tell you what he symbolized for us today? A big bad demon that is big and looks bad and smells bad and you know what I'm saying. That, that's, that's how we need to carry that over to our life. So listen to this and then I'm going to wrap it up. I'm just going to give you some for instances and you'll see what I mean. And you can look up that book, Kevin Connor, Interpreting the Symbols and Types of Scripture. Black, what do you suppose black means? The color black, sin, death. Blue, heaven or heavenly. Crimson or scarlet, blood atonement or sacrifice. Purple, kingship or royalty. White, purity, light, righteousness. Now you say, well, what has all that got to do with anything? I'll tell you what it's got. It's got a lot to do with everything. God had Noah build the ark so many cubits long, so many cubits high, wide. Guess what? He wasn't just throwing out numbers. Those was all symbolic, okay, that you can learn from. Numbers, as far as the meaning in numbers. Now, I'm just going to rattle these off. One, beginning. Two, witness or testimony. Three, divine completeness. Four, earth or creation or the world. Five, grace, atonement, life. Six, the number of man. Seven, perfection, completeness. Eight, new beginnings. Um, nine, completeness, finality, fullness. There's nine fruits of the Spirit, nine gifts of the Spirit, not coincidentally. Ten, law and government. There's ten commandments, right? Back in the beginning. Law and, law and government, ten. Eleven, incompleteness, disorganization, lawlessness. It's an imperfect number. It, it doesn't stand for anything good. Twelve, divine government. Thirty, consecration or maturity for ministry. Jesus began his ministry at 30 years old. Was there a reason for that? Yeah. And so if you, if you look into this stuff, you understand. Forty, what does forty resemble or talk about? Testing. Forty days in the desert, right? And, and, and on and on. Fifty, liberty, freedom, jubilee. Every 50 years, there was a freedom. All the depths were wiped out. It, it's, it's got signification, okay? So, colors have signification. Numbers have symbolization. And then metals. I'm just going to say three of them. We talked about the, the Olympics. Gold. What does gold represent in Scripture? Deity, okay? Divine nature. Brass. When it talks about brass, what does brass symbolize? Judgment. Silver, what is it symbolized? Redemption. Okay? So, I'm going to wrap up there. I gave you a lot to chew on. You're going to have to go back through. You're going to have to take some notes. You're going to have to, to meditate a lot on what we said. But guys, again, don't be overwhelmed. Don't think, huh, don't try to eat an elephant in one bite, you've heard said. You do it bite by bite, Right? And that's how you do the Word of God. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. 
The key is just keep chipping away at it. Just keep swinging your axe. And guess what? That tree is going to fall. Just keep getting in your Bible. And if you don't do any of these other types of studies, I said, just do the systematic study. Just read through the Bible from January through December, from Genesis to Revelation, and use those other um, translations, if you will, and some of these hard-to-understand books. And always compare it and make sure that everything's flowing. Amplified Bible is another really, really good translation that you can glean from. It'll magnify, it'll give you different words and, and thoughts and ideas that'll amplify the truth of what you're reading, okay? So, you do it, just do it, and watch God be faithful and watch you. You start eating the right things and exercising, <clears throat> guess what? In time, you're gonna see results. You start doing this, you're gonna see results and you're gonna like the results you see, okay? I'm gonna turn it over to Brother Tim, Pastor Tim,